Father, I ask once again that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Here's the question of the morning. What would you do if someone handed you $10 million? I thought about an exercise of handing out paper and asking us all to write down 10 things we would do with $10 million. But I figured it would take too long to do that. Here's the thing about that question. That's a question, I suspect, at least for most of us, is theoretical. The real question is not what we do with $10 million. The real question is, what will we do with whatever we have? I think that, that God is much more interested in that question than the first one. There is something about what we do with what we have that is an indicator, maybe even one of the ways in which we define the health of our relationship with God. And we see that in the, the, the little the vignette that we get from Luke chapter 12 that we read a moment ago. It's an interesting uh, scene. Here's Jesus teaching a big crowd of people. In the first 11 verses are about serious things. He's talking to them about what, what they're gonna, what's going to happen when they're persecuted. He's talking to them about what's going to happen when they face difficulties and struggles in this world. And when the world is pressing in upon them, how are they going to handle that? And this is a very serious, deep conversation he's having with them. And you get the feeling that Jesus at one point takes, stops to take a breath. And all of a sudden, out of the crowd, somebody yells out, Hey, Jesus. Tell my brother to give me my inheritance. Now, I don't know about how Jesus feels about that, but for me, I'd be going, what, really? We're talking about serious things here, and you want me to settle this dispute about money? It wasn't uncommon for people to go to rabbis to say, I'm having a problem like this with my brother. Could you help us solve it? It was one of the things that rabbis would do. And I suspect that there might be a good chance that the the guy's uh, problem is a a real one, that he really has been cheated by his brother out of his inheritance. And it's not fair. And he comes to Jesus and says, look, Jesus, you're all about helping people. You're all about fairness. I need you to help me. Part of me wonders if in the back of his mind he's thinking, if I could sick Jesus on the guy, now there'd be some clout. Look at the stuff Jesus does. He could certainly handle my brother. And Jesus looks at the guy and says, you know what? Who am I to do that kind of deal with that kind of thing? I suspect if Jesus had stopped right there, everyone would have gone home feeling like, you know what? We had a good day of worship today. Everything went well. I'm feeling good about myself. You know, I'm encouraged. Uh, didn't Jesus have a great word? Wasn't that wonderful? Don't we feel excited? Don't we feel good about being together? 
And Jesus seems to want to stop, but he can't help himself. There's a lot of, you read through the Gospels, there's a lot of times when you feel like Jesus is going to stop, and then he just can't help himself, and he says that next thing, and the scene changes. And this is one of those moments. Jesus says, that's not really something that I want to deal with. And I can almost picture Jesus turning back to the crowd and then taking a half step and stopping and looking back and saying, well, let me say this to you. Beware of every kind of greed. And all of a sudden, the whole scene of the thing changes. And I can imagine the guy listening to Jesus saying, wait, wait, this is about me now? This is supposed to be about my brother. This isn't about me. And what we're reminded about is that when we encounter Jesus, it's always in some form about us. Jesus is never content to let it be about other people. He is always turning it back on us and saying, well, that may be true, and that may well be unfair. But my question for you is, what's your attitude? What's your perspective? What are you going to do in in response to it? And then Jesus tells a parable. There is something about greed that can seep into every part of our being. It took me a little bit to to ponder Jesus' comment because he says, beware of every kind of greed. I have to admit, I only thought there was one kind of greed. But the more I pondered it, the more I realized greed can be about anything. Certainly, we usually think greedy about money. But we can be greedy about our time. We can be greedy about our relationships. We can be greedy about our gifts. We can be greedy about anything because, in essence, greed is saying, I want more of what I have, and I want to hold on to it. I want to hoard it. I want to keep it because if I just have more and if I can hold on to it, then I'll be happy. Of course, John Rockefeller was once asked, how much money would it take to make you happy? And he said, just a little bit more. And that is the problem with greed, is because it sends us a message that if we just have a little more, we're good, but we're always wanting more. We're always hoarding more. There's always more because we are afraid. At the heart of greed is a fear that we won't have enough. And that fear gets inside of us and it tears apart our relationships, not only with other people, but also with God. Now, the problem here, the problem of greed, is not that the man has an abundant harvest. That's not the problem, that's a blessing. One of the ways in which God might bless us is abundance. If you go back to the book of Genesis, What is it God says to Adam and Eve? He says, I created you to be productive. I created you to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth. Abundance is not a curse. Abundance can be one of the ways in which God blesses our lives. We work, we do things, and there is abundance. There is fruitfulness. That's not bad. 
The problem is not that he had a bumper crop. The problem is what he does with the bumper crop. The issue for our lives is not we shouldn't, we shouldn't produce. We shouldn't be fruitful. One of John Wesley's famous sermons is the rules is about money. He had three rules for money that he lived by and he taught people. Gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. And the one that tends to get avoided, and by the way, save all you can doesn't mean how much money can you put in the bank. It means think about the wisdom and the long-term effects of the way you purchase things. But the one that often gets avoided is gain all you can. There's something in us that says, well, that doesn't seem right. Now, he's not talking about being a workaholic. He's not, not talking about, that. The, he's not, not denying the fact that there are unwise and even immoral and unethical ways to gain. He's simply saying laziness is not a spiritual gift. That we ought to work. In fact, work, being able to work, being able to produce, being able to be fruitful is a gift of God. And it isn't always about money. It's about whatever we do, however we work, that we are making the world a better place. We are producing and being more fruitful. That is a good thing. But the question is, what are we doing with what we produce and the fruitfulness of our lives? our time, our talent, our treasures. The antidote to greed is not produce less, be lazy. The antidote to greed is generosity. At the end of this, Jesus says, the problem is he's not being rich toward God. What, what does Scripture tell us over and over again about what it means to be rich toward God? What does it mean to be in right relationship with God, to have the right heart for God? How do we know if we have the right heart for God? Jesus and the writers of, of the New Testament keep coming back to, here's how you know you love God. You love other people. Here's how you know you're generous toward God. You're generous toward other people. And you look at the, the, the man in this parable, and all he can think about is himself. Look at all the personal pronouns. They are all first-person singular. I, 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 me, me, me. Everything is about him. Everything is about his perspective, what he wants, what he can get. It is all about him. No wonder Jesus says he's a fool. He doesn't understand that we were created for relationship. We were created for each other. And God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to other people. God is generous toward us so we can be generous toward other people. And we break the chain of generosity from God to us that's supposed to go to other people when we are greedy. Generosity is an expression of our love for God. St. Augustine said, what this guy doesn't realize is that the bellies of the poor are a better storehouse than his barns. 
we give away to people. Sometimes when in our generosity, we, we want to be, I don't know, we want, we want to, to judge other people with, and base our generosity on that. You know, we might say, well, I don't really want to be generous toward them because they got themselves into this. I don't want to be generous toward them because, you know, they haven't done anything to help themselves. I don't want to be generous toward them because they haven't proven themselves worthy. Boy, am I glad God doesn't take that perspective about me and about you. God's generosity for us is not limited to our earning it or being worthy of it. He's just generous. Now, is there wisdom about how we're generous? Of course there is. You always want to be wise. But more often than not, our issue is not we are far too generous than we should be. Rather, we are skeptical about being as generous as we should be. There was a minister, I don't know, 40, 50 years ago, Ralph Sockman, who said, you know, we often hear that phrase, give till, you, till it hurts. He said, that's the wrong perspective. The mindset we should have is not give till it hurts, it's give till it stops hurting. Because if I just give till it hurts... In the first moment, I feel a little uncomfortable about my bank account, I'll stop giving. The first moment I feel like, oh, I'm, I'm giving too much of my time, I stop giving. Rather, it's giving through the hurt. It's giving in the way God gives to us. And this is such a serious thing that Jesus says there are eternal consequences to this. John Wesley said... He said, if you, want to, if you want any chance of escaping the damnation of hell, give all you can. Otherwise, he said, I have no more confidence in your salvation than I do in Judas Iscariot. Wow. I have to tell you, I'm not sure I always take generosity as seriously as that. And maybe you don't either. But Jesus says it's, it's an eternal thing we're talking about here. And actually, generosity in some ways is our vocation as God's people. It's how we represent God in the world. It's how we are image bearers of God in the world. Generosity, giving, our connections to each other. It seems to me that if we were to think about an Old Testament equivalent to the rich man in the parable... Maybe it's Cain, of Cain and Abel fame. Genesis chapter 4 tells us that Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's sons, have a dispute. Cain kills Abel. And God comes to Cain and says, where's your brother? And what's his response? Am I my brother's keeper? I don't need to worry about my brother. I have nothing to do with my brother. The fact that he asks that question indicates the the sinfulness of his heart. And one of the ways in which we know we are off the track is if we start thinking the same way because the answer to the question, are you my, am I my brother's keeper? God's answer to that through the scriptures is absolutely. Of course you are. Now, are we responsible for every person? No. But we are responsible for the people right in front of us. We're responsible for the people the Spirit indicates to us. We're responsible to live in such a spirit of openness that the moment God nudges us, we see it 
and we respond. We're always thinking, Lord, who do you want me to be generous toward today? How can I be generous today? How can I live in that spirit of generosity that just defines my life as a follower of Jesus? Here's the guy's, I think the root of the guy's problem is that he, I think there's a sense in which he no longer thinks he needs God. Listen to what, you know, hear what he says. I've done this. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at what I've been able to do. Look at what's all mine. The New Living Translation talks about, it says that there was a man, Jesus has a, says he had a, there was a man who had a fertile field. Now, when I, when I think of that, what comes to my mind is he had a pretty good head start on this abundant crop. I have a feeling that he didn't work any harder than his neighbors did. Maybe he had a better field to start with. And that was why his crop was so abundant. But he can't see that. He can't see that he's been blessed. He can't see that God has given him what he doesn't really deserve. Why should he have it any more than his next door neighbor who doesn't have as an abundant a crop? God has blessed him. But he's so wrapped up in himself, he can't see it. And that's why, that's why Karl Barth said that basically all sin comes back to ingratitude. And the reason he doesn't think he needs God is because he doesn't think God has done anything for him. And hand in hand with generosity is gratitude, thanksgiving. One of the reasons we struggle with generosity is because we are hesitant to be as grateful as we should be. There's something in us that says, I've accomplished this, I've done this, this is mine because I've earned it. And all the while, I, God is chuckling and weeping at the same time because we can't see that we've been so blessed by him. And the more let me put it around the other way. The less gratitude we feel toward God, the less need we have for God. And the less need we have for God, the more we separate ourselves from the very source of everything that life was intended to be. We may own everything in the world, but if we're completely disconnected from God, what do we really have? Jesus says that our life is not measured by what we have. And that's not just about money and possessions. It's not measured by the power we accumulate. It's not measured by the status we have. It's not measured by the fame we may, we may gain. It's not measured by the wonderful accomplishments of our lives. It's not measured by the great knowledge we've attained. All of these things are good. And we ought to, and it's fine to work for them. And they're not in and of themselves wrong. But it comes back to the, the beginning question what are we doing with what we have? And life is not measured by what we have, life is measured by who God is. 
Life is measured by the nature of God. After Jesus tells this parable, he starts talking about, it's here that we we read in the Sermon on the Mount, the same words. Jesus starts talking about how God is at work in every part of life and the birds and the flowers. And he says, if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? I think that may be one of the reasons why Ann Voskamp says maybe the opposite of faith is not doubt. Maybe the opposite of faith is fear. Fear that God is not enough. Fear that God is not good. Fear that God is not faithful. Fear that if we're generous, God will not supply our needs. And Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry. Not because you've got enough to feel secure, but because God is always enough. He's good. And we can trust him. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, The person who has God and nothing else has no less than the person who has God and everything else. And the person who has God and everything else has no more than the person who has God and nothing else. I have no idea what God may prompt you to do with what you have. It'll probably be different for all of us. But do we believe that God is so good and so faithful that we can trust him? Father, thank you that you are good and faithful and merciful Thank you. Drive that truth deeper and deeper into each of us. That we might be people who reflect you in this world. Reflect your generosity with whatever we have. Amen.